If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, last week we started a new series on uh, 1 Timothy entitled Be Faithful. And we talked about the idea that Paul, when he was bringing young Timothy as a preacher, as a pastoral maybe, uh, to challenge him to not quit, to not give up, even though he was tempted to. And we talked about all the reasons why people would want to give up, why they'd want to quit. And he challenged him not to do that, but to be faithful. And uh, so last week, the charge that Paul gave to Timothy as he worked with the church, and it's definitely a charge that we need to uphold today, uh, and that was to be faithful in their doctrinal teaching. And as we read in that next section of verses, verses 12 through 17, we see it's a charge to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel. And uh, that's something that sometimes we don't do real well at. We kind of look at it as... We should do more, but we're kind of okay with not because, you know, that's not my gift or that's not my strength or I'm kind of shy or I'm kind of timid or I'm, you know, whatever kind of justification we want to use. And uh, several years ago, I read a book from Andy Stanley, and he said that most of us as believers live with a certain amount of measurable guilt. Uh, we know that we should be more committed. We know that we should do more. We know that we should share our faith more, but we know it's not going to change. And so we kind of live with that certain amount of measurable guilt. Knowing that I should really take another step, but I, eh, for whatever reason, I don't. And so Andy Stanley also said in the book, he said, I challenge you that if you're not going to share your faith, at least get them here so I can share it to them. And so sometimes we don't even do that because we don't want to talk about well, two areas in public, and that's politics and religion. Because that's private. We don't want to deal with those things on a, on a public level, right? But... Those are the very things that we need to stand up for, not necessarily the politics, but our faith. And it needs to be real. And uh, I say often, I said, you know, wherever you are, be yourself. Don't be something you're not. Uh, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a liar. Don't let your life be something that you're not. Be real. Because you can't hide it from God anyway, right? So, as we continue in this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you would follow along as I read, beginning with verse 11, actually. We finished up verse 11 last week. But it really sets the stage for the next passage of verses that we're going to get into. So verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And so Paul, as he's challenging young Timothy to keep this trust, this, this charge that he's been given, he's talking about the glorious gospel that has changed his life. So verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And depending on which translation you use, some of them will say, I am the foremost. And some of them even say, I am the worst of all sinners. And I think Paul had a healthy understanding of who he was before Christ. I think some of us haven't quite grasped that yet, that we are nothing. We are absolutely nothing apart from Christ, right? So verse 15, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, 
be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, beginning with mine. I ask God that you would just allow us to be honest with ourselves this morning and whether or not we truly do have a relationship with you. And Lord, uh, Lord, if we do, may we be willing to share that faith with others who need to know. As Paul was challenging Timothy, Lord, to take hold of this charge of, of, of proclaiming the gospel, I pray, God, that we might be faithful in doing that. So, Lord, be with each and every one of us that are here today. Lord, would you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Paul's charge to Timothy was to be faithful in the gospel proclamation, uh, the phrase that I've shared before on a couple of different occasions is this, you will never give away what you do not have. It'd be an amazing thing that if we could have like multi-millionaire Sunday, wouldn't that be a cool like theme for a Sunday? I mean, just, hey, everybody that comes to Sunday, get a million bucks just for showing up, right? Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, come on. You know that'd be cool. We'd be the happening church of the area, right? I mean, if you just come to church Sunday, it's Millionaire Sunday. We'll make you a millionaire. Just show up. But here's the problem. We can't give away what we don't have. And it's no different with our faith in Jesus Christ. We can say that we're a believer. We can say that we have our faith. But the bottom line is, if we're not sharing it, what's that say about whether or not we truly have what we say we have? So the bottom line is, you'll never give away what you don't have. And number two... If you do have it, why aren't you giving it away? Why aren't you sharing it? Why don't we make it a point of emphasis, emphasis in our daily living? Um, I think we saw, at least I saw in this, in this passage as I'm preparing for this week, at least four areas that really developed from a heart of thankfulness. Uh, the first area is thankful, thankful for being enabled, thankful for being put into the ministry, Thankful because of where he came from, and thankful because he's partaken of, his, of God's mercy. So the very first thing I want to look at is thankful for being enabled. And I want you to notice, first of all, Paul's testimony. Um, I like what one person said when I was in college. He said, you either have a testimony or you're a testaphony. So if you're a child of God, you have a story. You have a testimony. You have something that God has done in your life that sets you apart from the rest of those in the world, right? The bottom line is, if you have a testimony... What are you doing with it? Are you guarding it? Are you using it for God's glory? Or is it just something you say that, you know, it's tucked in my shirt, it's tucked in my pocket, it's kind of put away, you know, nobody can take it from me because, you know, I have eternal security, but neither does anyone have access to it. So the reality is, if I have it, what are we doing with it? So Paul had a testimony, and I think if you turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 9, you'll see part of that testimony here. So Acts chapter 9, I want to read a good portion of that chapter just for a moment. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So let me ask you a question. Is this a guy you want a friend on Facebook? Yes or no? Not your favorite guy to hang out with. I'm not inviting him over Friday night for pizza, right? I mean, the moment you're going to say, okay, let's pray before we eat, he's like, there, there he is, there he is, they're praying. I mean, this is a guy who had a, te- uh, had a reputation. He was not a nice guy. So let's go on here. <clears throat> and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round, around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Now notice that just for a moment. Do you think that God is already beginning to do a work in his life? Because here it is, the bright light. Who are you, Lord? I, I think God is already beginning to do a work in his life. And so uh, 
And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goad. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now just for a moment, here's a guy who hasn't even surrendered to the Lord, saying, what do you want me to do? He knew that God was doing a work in his life. I believe God was doing a work in his life. And he says, what do you want me to do? He says, go to this city and just wait. And so he begins to tell him, and the men, verse 7, who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So then, verse 8, then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So he was blind, right? This bright light shot, you know, that, that was shining, it blinded him. But he's got, God's got his attention and he's looking to what God wants him to do. Go to the city. Nobody else saw him, but he saw him. Verse 10, or verse 9. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judah for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how nice he is and how everybody wants to spend time with him and how... Wait a minute, that's not what it says, is it? He had a reputation. Here's a man and Ananias... For a moment was what? Afraid. Let me ask you a question. You ever been afraid? I've been afraid a few times. Especially when I was younger. I hated the dark. I used to pretend I had some weapon in my hand if I was going to have to go into the dark. I didn't like the dark for a long time. But this is a different kind of fear. It's almost more crippling. You see, so many of us are worried about what others think of us. In fact, I really don't want to admit that I'm afraid, right? So here's Ananias. He's afraid of this man named Saul because of his reputation. But see, does it anywhere in the text tell us that Ananias was supposed to control the outcome? Or was his job just to be obedient? His job was to be obedient. His job was to do what God told him to do. And so what we find out here. In the passage here, verse 12, And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him. And he goes down, verse 13, And Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Lord, do you really understand what you're asking me to do? Do you really get this? I mean, God, I mean... I mean, I understand what you're saying, but do you really understand where I'm coming from? I mean, let's work this out here. I see another problem with this passage. Is that we want to bargain with God at times. God has given us a command, and we want to argue with Him as to why or why not we shouldn't be obedient to that command. And Ananias, just for a moment, he's like, Lord, let me clarify this. He's not a nice guy. He has authority to bind us. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel. Isn't that awesome? Of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. 
For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wait a minute. God has chosen to use Ananias to what? Reach out to Paul. And Paul, even though he's got a reputation, he's going to have a new story. He's a chosen vessel of mine, and he's going to suffer a lot for my name's sake. Now go do what I ask you to do. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me to you that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with his disciples at Damascus, and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, and he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on, the name of, on this name in Jerusalem, and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. What was his reputation? What was his testimony? Here's a man who is despicable. In fact, some of the translations say he, he was insolent. He was angry. He was despised because of who he was. And yet God chose, the, chose him to do a work for himself. And when God chooses someone, it changes everything. So, But here's what I want you to highlight just for a moment. One of the applications found in this text is this. What happened when Saul gave his life to Christ? Immediately, everything changed. Everything changed. In other words, who Saul was before he encountered God was not who he was after he encountered God, right? Do we see that? He was a different man, and because he was a different man, things changed. The things that he used to live for, he's no longer living for because of his new standing in Christ. So what does that teach every one of us? If Christ has entered our life, there has to be a change. It doesn't mean all of us are going to go end up being preachers somewhere and evangelists or going from church to church or being a missionary uh, in, in a vocational way. But the bottom line is things change. And when God enters our life, that means there's a different past or the, or the future is different from the past because it's different because of God. And things were beginning to change for him. If we were to look in chapter 22, in verse uh, verses 1 and following. Acts chapter 22, if you would turn over there. We see a little bit more of the story of who he was. Chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. It says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born of Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all toward this day. Now think about this just for a moment. Was Paul, Saul religious before God got a hold of him? Did his religion help him in his standing with God? No. See, he knew the law. He knew all the rules and regulations, but he had no heart relationship with Jesus Christ. He had no relationship with God. So it's not enough just to be religious you need a relationship, right? So it's not about the religion, it's about the relationship. And that's what we see here from Paul. 
So, he says, I'm a Jew, born of Tarsus, so forth. Verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering them into prisons, both men and women. He goes, I don't care who it was. I'm a religious man, but because you don't believe like I believe, I'm going to get permission to take you in and to see that you are persecuted. Man, not a nice guy. And then he said, and also the high priest bears witness and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring the, in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly the great light from heaven shone on me. And he has a testimony. So now what's he doing? He's using what God did in his life to do what? Impact someone else. Right? So here's part of this proclamation of the gospel that he's challenging young Timothy to uphold. If God has done something in your life, don't just hold it in. Don't just say, well, I'm saved. Nobody can steal my salvation. I'm on my way to heaven. Nobody can take it from me. He's saying, what are you doing with it? Even Saul says, you know me. You know my background. You know where I came from. So here he is in Acts 9 where God changed his life, got a hold of his life. Now I go over to Acts chapter 22, and now he's sharing his story. We've talked about this in the past. What's your story? What were the circumstances that God used in your life to say, hey, I want you to be part of my family. I want you to trust me as your Savior. What's your story? And what are you doing with it? Verse 9 says, Now those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So he's recounting the entire story. What do we do with our story? Now I want you to look at one more passage in Acts chapter 26. And beginning with verse 9. He says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, so many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Now think about this. Stephen, one of the followers of Christ, a devout, committed man of God. And here comes Saul admitting, there's Paul in his testimony admitting that I put my hand of endorsement upon killing him. Wow. I want you to think of it this way. Is there any sin that's in your past that's too great for God to forgive? No. Is there anything that just, boy, this is just so despicable. Sorry, God can't get you beyond this one. No. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to flaunt it. But at the same time, we see that God can use it. He says, verse 11, And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even in foreign cities. He said, everywhere I went, he goes, this anger that was in him, he used it to kill those who were following Christ. And while thus occupied, I journeyed into Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. So, did he just tell his story once? One and done. Oh, God, I told my story. It's over. Did it. No, it was a continuous thing. He continuously told his story. He continuously engaged people around him with his testimony of what God had done in his life. You see, every one of us, if we know Jesus Christ, we have a story. 
We have something that we can share. And I still go back to this very point. The simplest way to share your faith is to simply tell someone else what God has done for you. It's that simple. What did the woman at the well do? As soon as God got a hold of her life, she went out and said, God's word says, she dropped her water pots and went out and told everybody in the city and says, many believed. But what did she tell? Did she go back to Bible college first? No. She go to the seminar first and learning how to share your faith first? No. She just went out and told everyone else what happened to her. That she had an encounter with Jesus. And he changed her life. This man I was talking to, he knew everything about me. She took her story and shared it with the people around her. Folks, if we're going to have an impact in our community, in our world, in our state, we've got to tell others what has happened to us. I think it can be very informal. It's a conversation across the fence. It's a conversation with one shopping buggy to another at Wegmans. It's a simple conversation at the gas pump. We make it difficult, but it doesn't have to be. It's simple. There's so much here. Going on verse 15. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. So what's he saying in that phrase? I'll take who you are, your circumstances, your experiences, your life, your background, and I will use it for my glory. You see, whatever it is that God has allowed you to experience, whatever it is that God has allowed you to go through, is not without a purpose. He has a reason. What will you do with it? And then he goes on, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He says, listen, I will take your story, your testimony, what I've done in your life, your background, your experiences, everything that, that makes who you are, and I will use it if you'll open your mouth. You see, He's got to somehow, we've got to open our mouth at some point, right? At some point, we have to share what's God, what God has done. What will we do with that? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verse 9. Remember what he said in the text there in 1 Timothy? He says, I feel like I am the chiefest of sinners. I feel like I'm so bad. I feel like that sometimes. How can I be a Christian and say these things? How can I be a Christian and act this way? How can I say that I follow God and love Him and then let these things come out of my mouth at times? I feel, be- I, I feel that way sometimes. And verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. If Paul can say that, and yet Paul was used of God to write half the New Testament, to have the impact that he had thousands of years after his death, what might he do through you well, in your life? Acts chapter 8, just a couple of verses there. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. 
He says, Now Saul was consenting to his death at the time of great persecution, arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. For as Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Two things I want you to notice about that passage. In sharing our faith, is it going to always be easy? I mean, isn't everyone around us, our neighbors, friends, coworkers, relatives, they're, they're just waiting for you to say, hey, man, I was waiting for the day you tell me about Jesus. Isn't that how they are? No. Most of them don't want to hear because I'd have to, if I, if I hear the gospel and am convicted of it, that means I have to make some changes in my life. Really, it's God allowing God to make the changes, but I don't want to give up some things. It's not going to be easy to share the faith. But here's the second thing, verse 4. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The persecution causes, caused what? The gospel to go out even further in greater ways. So the, the trials, the opposition, the difficulty of it really strengthens it, right? So we have to realize that rather than running from opposition, what is it that we pray every time we get in a car and go on a trip? Lord, please give us safety. Lord, please give us traveling mercies. Lord God, keep us safe. Why? Because none of us enjoys those things. I mean, we don't just like get in our vehicle and say, Lord, give me an accident, please. I mean, Lord, one, one better give me an accident and cause my tires to go flat. We don't do that, do we? We pray for safety. We pray for safe travels. We don't want flat tires. We don't want cars to break down. We want it to just work, right? So we pray for that in. Am I saying it's wrong to pray for that? No. What I'm saying is we ought to be praying, God, your will be done. And as we go about allowing God to do what he's going to do, to use every circumstance, even the difficult ones, to strengthen what we believe, to strengthen what he's wanting to do in and through us. So I think, first of all, in our text, right out in the beginning here, as we look in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. So first of all, he is thankful because of his testimony. He is thankful for the work of the gospel in his own life. And we notice Paul's salvation. I love this in Ephesians chapter 2. Just for a moment, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. I love this passage. Just two verses. 2 verse 4. It says, but God. Isn't that a great phrase? If you're to stop right there, just but God. I was in sin, but God. I was a terrible wretch, but God. But God is a great phrase that tells us no matter who we are, no matter where we're at, God has the ability to change the circumstance. So he says, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And verse 7, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He has a purpose for what he's doing. Let's not forget that. He has a purpose. Warren Wiersbe referring to Ephesians chapter 4 verse or chapter 2 verse 4 said this the grace of god turned the persecutor into a preacher and a murderer into the minister and a missionary isn't that awesome god has the ability to change a life so he is thankful for his uh, being enabled in the ministry 
He was thankful for being put into the ministry. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, if you would turn there. Galatians chapter 1. And beginning in verse 11. He says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. What's he saying here? He was an accomplished persecutor. He was an accomplished man who just, he bragged about how much he did to destroy. But when it pleased God, verse 15, I love that. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. And over and over, he just shares the story of what God had been doing in his life. He was thankful that God had enabled him, putting him into the ministry. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, he says this. It says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He said, I worked hard. It wasn't flipping. He, he didn't just... He, he said it for years. Why is it that we can be so committed to everything else but God? Isn't that true? Do we see that? We're committed to the sports team. We're, submitted, we're, we're, we're committed to our hobbies. We're committed to our interests. We're committed to doing the things that we love to do because they bring us joy. They bring us satisfaction. They bring us peace. They bring us enjoyment. We're committed to a lot of different things. But what we see from the life of Paul is that when God gets a hold of a life, there's a different kind of commitment. He says in verse 10, the end of it, not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He says, I didn't do this in vain. He says, I'm, I'm committed. I'm all in. I'm not just one foot in. I'm all in. So he's thankful for being in the ministry. Then thankful because of where he came from. We see that in our text there back in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 16. It says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern for the, to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Everything that God had been doing in his life, he says, is for a pattern, to be an example of what God can do in a life. God did a work in his life. He went from being an insolent man to being an illustration of God's mercy and grace. Think about that. Angry. What does that verse say? Uh, verse 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, angry man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. He says, God's grace was so abundant to me. He gave me so much more than I ever deserved. He showed his mercy. He showed his grace. And he went from being an insolent man to being an illustration of what God can do in his life. 
thankful because he's been partaken in mercy. We see that in the end of this verse. To show all long suffering as a pattern of those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. As Paul was talking to Timothy, he was imparting not only this charge to be faithful, as we saw last week, to not quit, to be strong in their doctrine, but the testimony that you have, use it for my glory. If we could sum it all up in a phrase, it's simply this. Use what God has done in your life to impact someone else with the gospel. I mean, we saw at least four separate texts where Paul recounted his testimony. He simply shared his story. You all knew who I was. I mean, there's testimony. There's a reputation, and everybody knows about it. Everybody knew me. There's no hiding it. I was a bad guy. But God... But God changes everything. So what about you? What change is evident in your life because you claim to know Jesus Christ? There's got to be a difference. You can't continue to live the way we were before we claimed Christ. Otherwise, it's pretty evident that Christ is not in us, right? So there has to be a difference. And if you were to say, if I could point to one thing in my life that proves the difference, what would it be? What, does, what is it that God and you know is different because of my faith? What is different? And who is that person that you're conversing with, doing life with, talking to at the grocery store, talking to at school, talking to at the gas station? Do I do it every time? No. <laughs> I wish I did. So I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching to me too. I need to work on this. I need to improve in this area. But if you know Jesus Christ... And he's done a work in your life. Don't hide that. Share it. You see, some of us are good at really justifying why we don't. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I really don't know what to say. I really don't know what to do. But it doesn't have to be difficult. We, we've often called it around here lifestyle evangelism. As you're doing life, as God gives you conversations with those outside of Christ... Look for opportunities to turn that conversation. Look for those opportunities. Pray for those opportunities. And I believe that when we do that, God will answer. Amen? Um, I know he's done that for me a couple times in the last couple weeks. I wish I could say I'd do it more. But I'm working on it. I'm trying. But if we as a church would make this a commitment, what might God do in and through our church? Because we are giving everything to him. Paul didn't just jump in one foot. He jumped in both feet. He said, I'm all in. The question is, are you all in or are you just partway in? Because part one in doesn't accomplish anything. It really doesn't. What if Paul, just for a moment, and I'll close, said, yeah, God did a work in my life. He changed me. Uh, gave me a new, new standing with him. And he forgave me for everything I did. And uh, But I still kind of like being, you know, Someone of clout in this circle. So I'm going to kind of, when I'm with these guys, I'm going to be like them, you know, the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, and I'm going to keep studying those things, and I'm going to be with them, but when I'm around the apostles, I'm going to kind of be like them. Does that work? No. you got to decide. At some point, you're either going to follow or you're not. 
You're going to be committed or you're not. You're going to jump in both feet or you're not. I've heard people say, well, I've tried that before. I've tried. It's a relationship. It's not something you try. It's a relationship. And that's what God wants with us, is that relationship. So I challenge all of us to take the same charge that Paul gave to Timothy. Know your story. Know what God's done for you. But don't hide it. Share it. And see what God might do through it.